Pasha Shlach, we have the tragedy of the Miraglim. Shlach Lecha Anashim, Hashem says, send spies that, that they'll, they'll go via Siruetz Eretz Canaan, they'll scout out the land of Canaan, they'll report back about the, the quality of the land, they'll report back about the military strength of its inhabitants, the fortifications, the people, and so on. And they do. They come back and they report that the land is, that the land is good, but uh, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be impossible for us to conquer it. The men are giants. We, we can't possibly fight them. And the people, the morale uh, craters, and the people are terrified. They cry. God is furious with them. Kalev and Yeshua try to, uh, try to rescue the situation. They don't succeed. So God decrees death on the entire generation of the wilderness, the people of the, the males of that age. They would all die. None of them would go into Eretz Canaan. A new generation would arise that would enter Eretz Canaan. They were forced to wander in the desert for 40 years until the entire generation that had sinned with the Miraglim would pass away, and then there would be a new generation that would enter Eretz Canaan. Now, clearly, the, the people's reaction to the Miraglim was problematic. The way the Miraglim themselves gave their report perhaps was problematic. But there is considerable debate among the commentaries as to whether the very decision to send the Miraglim in the first place was a valid one or not. The, we begin, the, 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 the very beginning of the Pasha, it says, Shlach Lecha Anashim, send people, send people to, uh, Hashem says, send people if you want. Rashi, citing Midrashim, Rashi says that even though God was, it sounded like God was endorsing this plan, God was not really approving of this plan. He said, L'datcha, you do it. You, I'm, not, I'm not taking responsibility for this. This is not going to be my, uh, I'm allowing it. I'm, I'm accepting it. I'm not enthusiastic about it. And Rashi brings, we mentioned this last week, Rashi brings that when the story is repeated in Dvarim, it says, it says the people, that this idea started, began with the people. They, they said, we want to send Miraglim. As Moshe, as Moshe recounts the story later in Dvarim, Moshe asked Hashem, and Hashem says, Hashem was upset at the lack of trust. I told you it was good. Why are you sending Miraglim? You don't trust me. Trust but verify. God tells you something and you say, let's decide for ourselves. So you're making a big mistake. You shouldn't be doing this. At that point, God wasn't going to punish them yet, but he said, uh, you're going down the wrong path. I'm going to give you room to make an error. And indeed, uh, a terrible error a terrible error did take place, and they, uh, and they had the catastrophe of the miracle. Again, we pointed out last week that the, the story is presented slightly differently in Dvarim than here. Here, God seems to be the one who initiates Shlach Lecha Hashem. There, the people said, there, Moshe says, you're the ones who wanted Hashem reluctantly, so to speak, agreed with what you wanted anyway. I'll call upon him, this is Shittas Rashi, this is the Shittah of some Midrashim, that sending the Miraglim was not uh, utterly sinful, but it was wrong, it was the beginning, it was the first steps along a bad path that ended in the catastrophe of the Miraglim. The Ramban does not accept this. The Ramban feels that this is not, uh, not correct, it, it neither fits the it doesn't fit well into the psukim, and ne- neither is it theologically correct. And the Ramban has various kashas and rashi, but the, for our purposes tonight, the key question is the, the, key, the key point the Ramban says is that what was wrong? The, the Moroccan did what they were supposed to do, they did what spies normally do, and that's the Ramban's position. The Ramban explains he doesn't think there was anything wrong with sending the Moroccan. Ki Israel Amru Kedera Kalabayim Lilachim Ba'aretz Nachria. The Jews acted just as any invading army would act, any military campaign would act in scouting out the enemy territory first. There was nothing wrong with that. When they came back and they reported the, they were, they reported what the, they, they reported the lay of the land, that was fine. The, we find other cases in Tanakh where the Jews used Miraglim. And even if they said some of the cities are difficult, that's also valuable information. It doesn't mean we're going back to Mitzrayim. It means if we pick a target, we looked for, uh, we looked for, the, soft, we looked for the soft underbelly first. We don't have to attack the, the strongest points first. That's also part of military strategy. Knowing what, what are the enemy's strong points is you, you, you invade someplace else. You circle around and get them from the back or something. So these were all, uh, 
These were all perfectly legitimate things to do. Moshe sent Meraglim, Vayishlach Moshe Leraglis Yazir, Yeshua sent Meraglim, and so on. All over the place, the Jews uh, sent Meraglim. That's why Moshe himself, one of the Ramban's points is that Moshe himself seemed to think that the Meraglim, sending Meraglim was a good idea. Moshe says, again in Zvara, Moshe says, In our Pasha, Moshe's position is not recorded, but later Moshe concedes he thought it was a good idea. So there's no hint, right, except for this Midrashic Diuk of Shlach Lacha, there's no inkling, the Ramban says, that there was anything wrong with this project of sending Meraglim. And it fits into the general pattern of what Jews did in other, in other military campaigns. Some suggest that the Jews here were on a higher Madrega. They had just had Kriyas Yamsuf. God was with them in a much more tangible and concrete way than he usually is. But the Ramban doesn't go with that. The Ramban says that we cannot fault the Jews for sending Meraglim. What the, what the Jews did was perfectly in line with what they did in numerous other military campaigns, for none of which they are faulted. And then the Ramban summarizes his position in, in one famous line, which resonates through the later, late, later Jewish thinkers. The Ramban says, The Pasuk, the Torah, God, God does not rely on miracles. God makes miracles sometimes. God controls the world. God is above nature, and so on. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God, I took you out of Mitzrayim, I can do whatever I want. We believe that God can do that, we know God can do that. Nevertheless, the Torah doesn't operate with the assumption that miracles will occur. When the Torah tells people to do things, when the Torah gives us guidance, how to live our life, and how to, uh, how to operate in the world we live in, that we are not supposed to be making decisions based on the assumption that Nisim will occur. So even though God had said, I will take you into the promised land, I will defeat your enemies, and so on, even though the Jews theologically had a very good case for saying, God will destroy our enemies, why bother with spies? Why bother behaving like other militaries do? Says the Ramban, no. Akasiv lo yismok b'chal masiv halanes. Psukim, the Torah, Hashem, does not rely on Nisim. We are commanded to wage war like other, anim- like other armies wage war, with, uh, like we found again in later wars in Yoshua and Shoftim. We have to use every, uh, every stratagem, every, every means of uh, increasing the likelihood of winning. And therefore, there was nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all with the sending of the Murad. And Roman goes on at length. Later again, he returns to the Midrash. He says, the Chazal indeed do learn, as Rashi brought, that sending Miraglim was a chait, because they saw Hashem's salvation, they saw Hashem was on their side, even if other armies need spies, they should have realized we're not operating, in, we're not operating under the regular laws of nature. But uh, again, the Ramban says that his position is different. His position is that sending spies is the rational and prudent thing to do. The fact that the Jews were God's chosen people does not exempt them from this fundamental rule. The Ramban says, this line of the Ramban is a line that he repeats throughout his commentary to the Torah. The Ramban takes this as an axiom, as a fundamental principle in understanding the Torah, that even though the Torah is full of Nisim, one of the key points of the Torah is that Hashem makes Nisim whenever He wants. The Ramban himself, in Parsha's bow, has a famous and eloquent passage, cited very often in the yeshiva world by the Balai Musr, that the that when Hashem makes Nisim Gluyim, when Hashem makes open miracles, like taking the Jews out of, out of Egypt and so on, splitting the sea, the biblical plagues, all of that is, is meant to be the tip of the iceberg. It's meant to be an illustration to us that God is really running the world. We're supposed to reason from that to Nisim Nistarim, to understanding that everything is really based on the hand of God. All the Scharva Onesh, if you do mitzvahs, you'll do well. And so on, if you do Averis, then you'll be punished. All of that involves Nase. None of that is... That doesn't happen by itself. So the Ramban, on the one hand, the Ramban theologically said everything is Yad Hashem and everything is Nisim. Nevertheless, the way we're supposed to act, the Ramban says we're supposed to act as though we live in a world that works and God's, even when God gives us a mitzvah, even when he tells you, I am taking you into Eretz Canaan, we're not supposed to rely on Nisim, we're supposed to act as, uh, we're supposed to act The Ramban, as I said, invokes this principle in a number of other places in his commentary to the Torah. Again, a few weeks ago, in Parshas B'midbar, so God commands the Jews, God commands Moshe to take a census of the Jewish people, and the purpose of the census is never made entirely explicit. 
the Torah has quite a lot of detail about the procedures of the census and how the Shvatim were counted and the tallies and the totals and all that, but the Torah never really explicitly tells you what the purpose of the census was. The Torah does make reference, though, to Kol Yotzei Israel, all those who fight an army in the army of the Jewish people. So there is this implication that the census was connected to military preparations, and that's what the Ramban and some other Rishonim learn. The Ramban says that this is the way human governments behave as well when they prepare for war. As we discussed, when we discussed the censuses, we discussed the examples of Shoal counting the people before waging war and so on. That's something a, a military commander needs to know. To his order of battle, he needs to know the, the strength of his forces and the, the, the numbers of his men. So the Ramban says that's, that was the plan here too. They were preparing to enter Eretz Canaan and to wage war against the, the indigenous people, the Malchei HaMari. And again, they wound up spending 40 years in the desert, but that was because of the catastrophe of the Meraglim. Before that happened, the, the intention was to imminently begin the conquest of Eretz Canaan. <clears throat> so therefore, that's why back in Parshat Bamidbar, Moshe and the Nesim, the leaders, Moshe and his subordinates, the leaders of the Shvatim, had to know the numbers of the military forces they had, individual Shvatim and so on. And that's why he counted them again at Arbas Moav. Again, because even though Hashem was running the Hashem was running this, Hashem was going to ensure that they won, they won in that they were victorious over the Kananim, the Amorim. Nevertheless, once again the Ramban says, One man chasing a thousand, that's what God promises us in Bukhukosai, that if the Jews do mitzvahs and keep the Torah, that that you'll that small numbers of you will chase vast numbers of the enemy, you'll have <coughs> you'll have supernatural assistance and supernatural success. But nevertheless, the Torah doesn't rely on that. The Torah promises that, but we have to do ours. We have to prepare to wage war the way, a, the way an ordinary human army would have to wage war. And that's why the, the, the focus of the census in Bamidbar was on the soldiers, not just on people in general, because it was fundamentally a military preparation. A third place where the Ramban mentions this rule that the Torah is not Samechalanisim is in, actually is in the case of an exception that proves the rule in the Pasha of Sota. The Pasha of Sota is a unique Pasha, the Ramban says. We had this a uh, couple of weeks ago also. The, the, the Pasha of Sota is where, where a woman is tested for immoral behavior. She's fed a potion. She, she's given to drink a potion of water with some, uh, some other things in it. Uh, they erase the Megillah Sota into it and dirt. And, she's, and, she, and if she's guilty of the sin that she's suspected of, then she is smitten with a uh, terrible bodily collapse, and she dies. And that, obviously, is some kind of nace. That doesn't work, but That would seem to be against the Ramban's rule. We have an entire mitzvah in the Torah, which is based on Nisim. Ramban says, yes, quite so it is. And that is the exception that proves the rule. Ramban says, you're right, that's an exception to my general rule. Ein b'chol mishpatea Torah. There is no law in the Torah, davar tali b'neis, any halacha, any, any modus operandi that the Torah has for us, Zulasi Sota is the one exception, a, a halacha, a, a set of instructions from God that inherently involve miracles. He says, this is a pella, it's a nes kavua, this is something unusual. He says, that's why it seized after a while, that uh, the Gemara in Sota says that at some point when the spiritual stature had degenerated, when, when, when adultery was too common, when men were committing adultery, so the Mesota stopped functioning, because again, this is not the normal way things work. This was, a, this was an exceptional procedure. The Torah generally does not rely on Nisim. So again, Ramban concedes that this is one exception of a, of, of a law in the Torah that does rely on Nisim, but in general, in, in everywhere else in the Torah, the Ramban says, halachas of the Torah are established based on Derech HaTeva, and we do not, we do not uh, make our decisions based on anticipating Nisim. The Ramban actually invokes this rule We've mentioned three examples of this principle in his commentary to the Torah. The Ramban actually invokes this rule in a halachic tshuva as well. The Ramban was asked about astrology and different types of divination, things like you know, black cats or walking under ladders and so on. Those weren't the exact examples, but things that we would put into that category. The Ramban was asked, what is the Torah's view about astrology and about these types of procedures of divination? The Ramban actually believed in them. 
unlike Rambam, his famous opponent in this matter, who rejected them as being uh, errant nonsense and foolishness, Ramban did actually believe in these things, which is actually the opinion of most Rishonim, including some of the more philosophically minded ones, like Ibn Ezra. That's a topic for a different day, but the, the Ramban did actually believe in astrology and did actually believe in portents and signs and omens and all these things. The Ramban brings various Gemaras that strongly indicate that Chazal believed in these things. He brings the two famous Gemaras. The Gemara has these very inspiring stories. One is about Rabbi Kiva's daughter that the astrologers had predicted she would die on the day of her wedding. And then uh, the night of her wedding, she, she stuck a, a pin, some kind of jewelry, into the wall for safekeeping. And the next morning she found she had stabbed some kind of, uh, some kind of snake and killed it. Otherwise it might have killed her. And when she showed it to Rabbi Akiva, he said, you must have done some great mitzvah. What, what did you do that you merited to be saved from your astrologically foretold fate? So she tells this story about she, she, she did this incredible mitzvah of tzedakah. A poor person came to the door and everyone was so busy with the wedding feast, nobody heard him, and she went and gave him her own food. So Rekiva says, now I understand tzedakah tats only mavis. The Gemara prefaces the story by saying, ein mazal Yisrael. And sometimes people take this Gemara to mean, Rambam took this Gemara to mean, ein mazal Yisrael, that, uh, that astrology is bogus. But the Gemara read simply says exactly the opposite. The Gemara says there most certainly is mazel, but Jews can sometimes rise above mazel if they do exceptionally great mitzvahs like this extraordinary act of tzedakah done by Rabbi Kiva's daughter on her wedding day. They can rise above mazel. Other stories like that. So the Ramban and most Rishonim took these Gemaras at face value. They believed in astrology. They believed in divination. So the problem the Ramban has is to... How do you square that with the fact that the Torah is so adamantly opposed to the Torah seems very opposed, Torah Shabbat the rabbinic tradition, seems quite opposed to consulting astrologers. Tamim tiyem Hashem alokecha, you're supposed to be of complete faith with God, you're not supposed to seek out stargazers and soothsayers and so on. Why does the Torah forbid all this stuff? If it's real, if, if, if there's actually some element of genuine science to this, why does the Torah prohibit it? So the Ramban doesn't have an entirely satisfying explanation, at least not uh, at least not that I can really understand. Ramban says, first of all, the Ramban no- notes the obvious, you know, theologically fundamental point that God can certainly override the astrology, like he, do- like he did in the story of uh, Rabbi Kiva. Shem can make a nace to uh, override the Xeris HaKochavim. That's called a nace nistar, not a nace nigla, but it's a nace nistar, it's a hidden nace. And that's like, again, echoing his famous language in Pasha's bow. He says the whole Torah depends on the the whole idea of Scharva Onesh and everything divine providence all hinges on the notion of Nes Nister, that God manipulates the world in a not immediately obvious way to secure the outcomes that he wants. Therefore, the Ramban says, because we believe that Hashem has power to override, uh, to override, the, to override astrological fate, therefore we don't consult astrologers, but we follow Hashem Batmimus, and if you uh, see something problematic in your, in your stars, you do mitzvahs, and you daven, and you hope that Hashem will override it. However, the Ramban says, again, a consequence of his belief that this is real, he says, if it's a person not supposed to go out running after consulting astrologers, but if he happens to find out information, astrologer tells him, he picks up the paper, and he sees his horoscope, and he sees something, something bad is in store for him, a certain day is an ill-fated day for his affairs, the Ramban says, you should take that into account, you should take that under advisement, and you should avoid doing things on that day. Nishmari menu. Why? Even though it's a theological belief, we have to square these two things, and we have to square these two things which are in fundamental tension. We believe that Hashem makes nisim, but we still have to act in, in, as though it was up to us. So we still have to say, Hashem might make a nes, that's, that's his affair. I cannot be so mechal If the astrologers tell me, based on their astrological wisdom, that there's a bad thing in store for me, I cannot be so mechal And... Ramban says, Kasavrani, my position is, You're not allowed to try to try to flout the, the portents of the stars to rely on a nace. Hashem will override them. Can't do that. So again, I find it very hard to understand the Ramban's position. If he really feels he can't be Samechal Anais and he's supposed to act Biderecha Teva and he believes that astrologers is part of Teva, why shouldn't you consult the astrologers? When it comes to actively consulting them, then we say, no, no, Tamim Tiyam Hashem I mean, the rest of our lives, uh, we, do live, we do consult things. We consult uh, financial forecasters. We consult weather forecasters. 
We don't say, I will not consult, uh, I will not decide whether to take my umbrella out by turning on the weather. I will simply go outside and have perfect faith in God. That's ridiculous. You, you, turn, on the, you turn on the radio to see what the, what the weather is going to be. You, you, know, you, you make financial plans based on whatever is expected. Doctors, even doctors, our minog, of course, is that we do go to doctors, we go for diagnostics, we go for treatment. Ramban himself famously had a somewhat ambivalent relationship with medicine. In some places he's very critical of it. He says, ideally, you should be going just to Hashem, you shouldn't be going to doctors. In other places he's more tolerant. The Ramban conceded that halakha you can go to a doctor, the doctor should treat you if he does. So for some reason, part of this is the Ramban sheet in general, that even when it comes to things like medicine, there is room for Tamim Tia, for going just to Hashem. But somehow the Ramban holds that when it comes to astrology, there's a stronger, uh, a stronger standoffishness the Torah wants. You shouldn't consult them at all. But even there, the Ramban says, if, if you know, if you find out what they say, you should take it into account. And it's usr, it's wrong for you to ignore it, because that would violate the rule of Ein Sam Kanalanes. And we actually pass like this. This is actually brought by the Ramban in Shulchan Aruch. The... <coughs> There are various halachas that are actually recommended about doing things at fortuitous times. The most famous one is Ein Nosim Nashim El Bamile Halavana. The minag is that we only get married when the moon is uh, waxing, not waning, first half of the month. Some people still do this today, some people don't do this today. Ravad Yosef has a whole tshuva, as I recall, where he discusses whether when it says Nagu that we do this, does that mean it's recommended that you follow this minag? Or that just means. You're allowed to follow this minhag and don't think that you're violating the prohibitions of nichush, of prohibited divination. But there is such a minhag. It, it was a minhag of Kalag Yisrael. Some say, actually, Lechatchila, you should do this. Some people still do it today. And the Ramah goes on and says, yes, there are other minhagim that are legitimate to be choshesh for certain fortuitous and non-fortuitous times. And then the Ramah brings this Ramban. He says, Masha If a person somehow is aware that a certain course of action is against the against the mazelos against his against what the stargazers say lo yase you should not do that you should not tempt fate like that you should not just say oh I trust in God God will take care of me v'lo yismochalanes you should not rely on a nace because because again ain't some kanalanes that's the according to the Ramban that's the principle of many parashiyos in the Torah with the exception of Sota the Torah the Torah never expects you to act in a way that assumes there'll be a nace. Ella, the, the, the Ramah summarizes the Ramban, For some reason, when it comes to astrology, we say don't investigate. When it comes to genetic testing, Dar Yisharim, or anything else, the overwhelming consensus is that we should investigate, that it's uh, prudent and uh, the rational and recommended thing to do to take, uh, find out, uh, look into our, we don't do it with stars, we do it with blood tests and so on, but we, we should try to find out what's in store for us and act accordingly as much as possible. But for some reason, when it comes to astrology, even though we still say that if you happen to know the information, you should take it into account, and you shouldn't be so mechalanes, here, for some reason, we say you shouldn't be choker, you shouldn't actively seek out this information because of tamtia. All right. <clears throat> so this is the sheet of the Ramban, that endless mechalanes is a fundamental rule of the Torah. It has halachic implications, it has... It, under, it underpins many parashiyas in the Torah. Never, so certainly a person is not, never supposed to act and say, I'm doing this, even though it's not rational, you're never supposed to do that. The one sort of exception is that there are certain things that you're not supposed to investigate further, certain astrological things you're supposed to just, if you don't know, then, then you don't look into it further, but in general, the rule generally is, according to the Ramban, This rule of the Ramban actually got this from the Talmud, there are about a half dozen different places in the Talmud, some in the Babylonian Talmud, some in the Palestinian Talmud. We had a bunch of them, actually, we had in Dafyomi in the last few months, where the Gemara invokes the rule of Ein Som Chanalanes. Now, the cases the Talmud brings are, are mostly fairly obscure cases. They don't, they don't generally involve halachas that are still practiced today. They, they, they have to do with things in the temple, typically. But nevertheless, let's take a look at the, at the various examples, the half dozen or so examples in the Talmud, where the Talmud establishes the rule of Ein Sam Kanalanes. One of them is in the Yushalmi in Maseches Yoma. The Mishnah Maseches Yoma 
says that they were very careful. They didn't want the Kohen Gadol to, to have a bodily discharge that would render him tummy. There were various dietary things. There were various ways of uh, there, there were various ways of of handling him to uh, that would minimize the likelihood of him having one of these discharges. So that's what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah talks about it. The Bavli talks about it. Yushalmi raises an interesting question. It's what are we so worried about? The Kargadal is going to have one of these discharges, but the Yushalmi records that there are various lists of Nisim, miracles that God performed in the temple. Some of them were out and out miracles, and some of them were just some of them were just uh, statistically remarkable patterns. Certain things never happened, even though statistically they should have happened. Occasionally, certain things never happened. People never got sick from, from eating all the meat and walking on the floor and so on. So even though in any given day, maybe it's not quite an ace, but certainly in the, in the aggregate, you, you collect the, the statistics over the years, it was called, the Mark calls that an ace, that no one ever got sick. And one, one of the Nisim was that the Kohen Gadol never had this problem. He never actually had one of these problematic discharges. So what are we worried about? Why are we so worried about his diet if Hashem was making a nace anyway that he protected the Kohen from encountering this problem? So the Yushalmi says, you know why? Because the Torah says, Lo sunasun, you're not supposed to test Hashem. Which the Mepharshim understand, that means you're not supposed to rely on an ace. You're not supposed to act in such a way that, is, that challenges God, that, uh, that says, God, we need an ace if things are going to work out. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to do whatever you can to, to make things work out without resorting to an ace. So the Yushalmi doesn't use the words, ain't some canal an ace, but the Yushalmi articulates a functionally equivalent principle. You're not supposed to act in such a way that would rely on an ace, even if you have the right to expect such an ace, because we have, this, we have this recorded, we have this tradition that there was such an ace. Nevertheless, we have to do ours. We're supposed to act in, we're supposed to act in lo sinasun. You're not supposed to put God in a position of having to perform an ace. And therefore, the Yushalmi, in not quite those words, is telling us the principle of ein som kanal an ace. There's a, another Yushalmi, which explicitly invokes the which explicitly invokes the, the idea of not being Samechalanes in slightly different words, but actually invokes the principle. Yushalmi and Shkalom. Yushalmi and Shkalom is talking about the procedure of putting the lechem apanim, the shoebreads, onto the, the shulchan, the table, and taking it off. So the, it discusses they had these uh, auxiliary, auxiliary tables besides the main shulchan in the ulam, in the entrance hall. They had other tables they would use as uh, staging tables for putting the lechem from there onto the, the main shulchan in the heichal and taking it off and putting it onto these tables where they took it out. So the question is, when they so the question is when they put it on the when they put it on the on the, the table before going in, before going into the, the mishka, before going into the mikdash, was it silver or was it marble? So the, the, the mishnah says that it was silver. The gemara brings two opinions. One says silver, and one says they did not use silver, that, that, that it could not have been silver. That, I'm sorry, the, the Mishnah said marble, and there's another opinion that it was silver. Another opinion defends the Mishnah and says, no, it was actually marble. So there was a machlokus whether they used silver or not. Silver is nicer than marble, it's more elegant, so why would they have used marble and not silver? So the Gemara explains to Peshu Martiach. The one who says they did not use silver says silver would somehow cause the bread to to become heated somehow, and that would cause it to spoil, become moldy. So it wasn't good for the bread to put it on silver, so they had to settle for marble. Yushalmi says, really? This is one of the nisim in the Beis Mikdash that the, the lechem stayed fresh. Not only did it stay fresh, it stayed hot. So the lechem wasn't spoiling. God was making nisim in the, in the, Mishka, in the Mikdash, the Mishka in the Mikdash, to keep the bread fresh. So what are you worried about, about using silver? Anyway, God is running the show, and God is making sure it stays fresh. Serbi Shubin Levi Amar, this is a miracle. We don't take into account miracles in Maskirin. Basically, that's the principle we're more familiar with in the Ramban's formulation of Ein Som Miracles may have happened. We have traditions that miracles happened. A miracle happened to this particular thing. That's not our affair. We have to act in ways that make sense according to the laws of nature. Ein Som God makes a miracle. God loves us. God shows his affection for us and makes miracles. God shows his power. But we don't take that into account. We have to act as, as we would if there were no miracles going on, even if we know we have to have a kind of uh, cognitive dissonance here. We believe theologically there are miracles, but we still have to act as though it's up to us and miracles are not actually occurring.
In the Bavli, these two are the Yerushalmi. In the Bavli, in Masechus Pesachim, there's actually a machlokus about this. The, there seems to be a machlokus. The Gemara says that they had three shifts. When they brought the Karim Pesach, there were three shifts. All the Jews who were coming to bring the Karban, masses of crowds, they, they wouldn't all go into the Azar at once. It's a halacha. We learned they're supposed to go in three different shifts. So it says the first shift would go in, and after that the doors would close. They, they, would, they would bring their karbanos. When they were done, they would leave, and the next shift would enter. So it says that they would close the doors. So Abaya and Rava argue what the girs in the Mishnah is, how these doors were closed. Abaya says, Ninalutnan, that they would close automatically by themselves. I mean, today we have automatic doors. They have uh, sensors and, and servo motors and so on. But uh, the Gemara means it was a miracle. The doors would close on their own. And Rava says, Noalantnan. People would close them. They'd be closed by human agency. So the Gemara explains, my beinayu, ike beinayu, mismachanisa. The machlokas here is whether we would rely on a nace to close these doors when appropriate. The doors have to be closed. So do we have to close them? Do we take matters into our own hands and close them? Or do we say, God will close the doors when appropriate? Abaya says, as soon as the appropriate number of people entered the Azara, we're selmechan a that there was a nace that occurred in the temple, there were lots of nisim that occurred in the temple, we're selmechan a that the doors closed, Rava says, no, Lentanan. Hashem makes Nisim, yes, but Nisa. we're not Selmechel Anais. So here, for some reason, it's Machlokas Abaya and Rava. Mepharshim discuss why. The other Gemaras indicate that there's a general rule of Ein Selmechel Anais. Here, for some reason, it's a Machlokas Abaya and Rava, whether we're Selmechel Anais or we are not Selmechel Anais. They bring from Rabbeinu Hananel. The question is not just we rely on our nace to fulfill the halacha. The question is, uh, we just had Meron recently. The question is, we want to make sure not too many people enter and, and create a danger. So are we selmech on a nace to avoid that danger? Or do we say, no, that God wants us to take care of taking appropriate precautions to avoid danger? It's up to us to make sure things are safe. We can't just say, God will take care of us. It's a, it's a mitzvah, and God will make sure everything's okay. It's our job. It's our job, that the, it's our job to make sure that things stay safe. Machlok is Abayin Rava, though. Abayin said, no, we do rely on a nace. It's, it's the base of Mikdash. God will, God will run his home in the appropriate way. He'll make Nisim, and we don't have to, it's not our business to take care of, to take care of things in the base of Mikdash. The problem is that we mentioned several Gemaras that say that we're not Tzamechel We have this Gemara that says it's Machlokas. There are, however, a... There are several other Gemaras that indicate that sometimes we are Semechalanes. Before we get to those Gemaras, let's just bring one or two more that, 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 that follow the, the first rule, that we're not Semechalanes. The Gemara in Shabbos brings, Bavli in Shabbos brings, that Rav Yanai, before he would take a ferry, he would investigate it, he would examine it for safety and stability. Why? Rav Yanai holds. Rav Yanai has a general rule. A person should never place himself in a situation of danger and say, Hashem will make an ace for me. Maybe, maybe he won't make an ace for you. And if he does make an ace for you, it'll, uh, it'll, he'll deduct some schuyas that you have. So don't rely on Nisim. Don't say, yes, Hashem certainly could make you safe even if the ferry is not seaworthy, but you are not supposed to do that. And we're not Tzomechel Anais, either because it won't happen or because there's a price to pay if it happens. Again, we pass like this in Shulchan Aruch as well. We pass like this, that it says... The, in in Hilchas Hakana, the Shulchan Aruch brings a, a, mis, a miscellany of rules, things you shouldn't do to avoid danger, to avoid physical physical danger to life and health. And the Ramah generalizes, the Ramah says, A person should avoid anything that can bring him to danger. One of them is one that got a lot of attention over the last year. When there's a plague in the city, a person should flee, a person should act as though plague is contagious and should avoid the areas infested by the plague. And then the Ramah says, All the things we've been discussing in this simon in Shulchan Aruch have to do with sakana, with danger. One who cares, is careful about his, his soul, his life, will avoid them. Again, you're not allowed to be You are not allowed to be you're not allowed to be Selmech al we find, uh, we find yet another example. Before we get to the exceptions, we find one final example of this rule, ain't some canalanes, in a famous Gemara at the end of the first parak in Kedushin. The Gemara talks about, the Gemara talks about people who were doing mitzvahs, were doing kibbutz and shiluach hakein, 
that, uh, that they, they were punished anyway, that uh, Rabbi Yaakov says, Rabbi Yaakov and Abraisa says, that when the Torah promises Yorichas Yamim, it means an Olam Haba, not Olam Hazeh. And the Gemara explains because he saw an example of someone who actually was doing these mitzvahs and nevertheless was injured and died. The Gemara goes, tells them, tells a story about Acher, who's Elisha ben Avuya, who saw such a thing, and that led him to reject uh, the theology of the Torah. But the Gemara says, Rabbi Yaakov and the Bryce also saw such a story, he also once witnessed such, a, such an episode, and he therefore concluded that the Arichus Yom and promised by the Torah is not an Olam Hazeh. Sometimes people can do mitzvahs, nevertheless, they'll be rewarded in Olam Haba, but will still die and suffer in Olam Hazeh. So the Gemara discusses this story of Yaakov saw. He saw the story of someone doing a mitzvah and getting injured in the course of the, injured or dying in the course of the mitzvah. So the Gemara says, how can that be? But we have a rule. Shluchei mitzvah ain't Someone engaged in the performance of a mitzvah is not going to be injured in the course of the mitzvah. So the Gemara says, Sulam Ra'uahava. It was a rickety, unsafe, unstable ladder. Again, back to some of the tragedies we had recently that you can't rely on shluch mitzvah and nizokin if you aren't taking proper precautions to make sure things are safe. It's kviyah hazeka, elsewhere the Gemara uses the expression shchiyah hazeka, the hezek is kavua, is clearly established, it's shchiyah, it's, it's frequent enough to be a concern, and kolecha de kviyah hazeka, lo samchin and anisa. Once again, the Gemara says the rule, we're not samechal This time, the Gemara adds one caveat, it depends whether the whether the hezek is shchiach or kavua or not. If it's kavua, then we apply the rule we've been discussing, lo simchin and anisa, and the source the Gemara brings is a famous pasuk in Shmuel, which comes up a lot in these theological discussions. God told Shmuel that he had rejected Shoal from, from being king, he wants a new king. God tells Shmuel, go appoint Ben Yishai, go appoint the son of Yishai as the new king. So Shmuel says, how can I do that? Eich eilech v'shama Shoal v'haragani. This is, uh, this is uh, a capital offense. If Shaul hears, I'm going to appoint a successor. I'm, gonna, I'm operating toward the, his replacement. He'll kill me. So how can I do that? Didn't Shmuel know Shluchei Mitzvah Enon Yizokin? Didn't Shmuel know that Rabbi Elazar says, people doing mitzvahs, certainly if you're doing what Hashem told you to, then there's no, uh, there's no chance of getting harmed? So we see, they know that Shchiyach Hezekah doing something which is, uh, which is above a certain threshold of clear and present danger, then there is the, there's no guarantee of Shluch Metzen and Nizokin, and once again we apply the rule of Lo Samchin and Anisa, that you're not, you're not allowed to, you're not supposed to, it's not appropriate to be Selmech Alhanes. So these are the various places in the Gemara, Bavli and Yushalmi, there are others as well, but these are some of the famous cases in the Gemara where the Gemara establishes the rule that shluche mitzvah, that, that even though shluche mitzvah and nizokin, in generally not supposed to be samechal anais, provided at least that the nais is shchiach, or kavua. There are, however, a number of other stories that Achrodim have pointed out seem to fly in the face of this rule. There's a story of Nachomish Gamzu, that he was once in a, he was once in a bayis ra'ua. He was in a, a house that was unstable, in danger of collapse, and he was immobile, he was incapacitated, he couldn't walk. So they wanted to carry him out of the house because the roof could fall in. They said, first, let's get you out of here. After that, we'll go back and move the, the furniture out. We'll, we'll move the property out. So we told them, no, you might think that's logical. First me, then the furniture. Other way around. First take, first take all, the, all the utensils out of the house, then take me out. What sense does that make? So he explained... I merit extraordinary divine providence. God will never allow the roof of the house to collapse while I'm inside. So I'm protecting everything. As long as I'm here, everything is safe. So if you take me out, then the roof will collapse on the kalim. They don't have a shkacha process like I do. So first take the kalim out, and then take me out. Indeed, that's what they did. So first they clear everything else out. Then they took him out. And sure enough, after they took him out, the roof collapsed. Sounds like uh, he was directly rejecting Ain't Sam Khanalanais. He was saying that yes, the roof is in danger of falling. It did imminently fall as soon as they moved him out. Nevertheless, he stayed there longer than he needed to because he felt that God would do a nace for him and protect him, protect him, uh, and, and therefore it would be more effective for the Kalim. To, it, would be, uh, it would be advantageous to save the Kalim to, uh, to keep him in longer. This story apparently is the, has a modern echo in a famous story told about the Briskarov. 
I heard this many years ago. I looked around online. I found various uh, secondary sources quoting the story. But they tell the story about the Briskarov, almost the exact same story. They say that when the Briskarov was in Eretz Yisrael during, uh, during the War of Independence in Tafshin Ches in 1948, so the Briskarov lived in Yerushalayim, and he had a top-floor apartment. Artillery fire was raining down on the city, and the Briskarov declined to go to the bomb shelter. He wanted to stay in his apartment. Eventually, his family, his Talmidim, they convinced him to go down to the basement, to the shelter, to somewhere that was safer. So when they left, when they left the shelter, they went back to the apartment, and they saw that a shell had hit the, the Briskarov's room and had destroyed property. So, so Rebeiril told his son, according to one version of the story, Rebeiril told his son, you see, I was right. It's good we got out of here. A shell went through, ripped through the room and destroyed your, your pillow that... Uh, Briskarov said, it's your fault. If I would have stayed in the shelter, the shell never would have, if I would have stayed in my room, the shell never would have hit, and my property would have been all safe. You're responsible for the, for the pillow. You should pay me for the pillow. Another version of that story, but the, this, is exactly the, this is exactly the story of, of, Gamzu, of Nachamish Gamzu. He said that by my staying in the, by, by my staying in the, in the house, Nachamish Gamzu said, I'm keeping the kalim safe. I'm not going to leave. It makes more sense for me to stay. Only leave when I have to. That's what the Briskarov apparently said, that, I'm gonna, that I, he wanted to stay in the house. Against his better judgment, he was, he was convinced to move, and he felt that because he had moved, that resulted in actually uh, the shell hitting. Again, what happened to Ain Sam Kanal Unclear. They actually tell a uh, related story about the Briskarov. The, they tell the story also that decades earlier, during the First World War, so about 30 years earlier, the Briskarov was still in Warsaw, back in Europe. Warsaw was being shelled. And the Briskarov this time did go into a shelter. And then the shelling got worse, and the Briskarov left the shelter and went back to his top-floor apartment. People couldn't understand the, the, the method behind this madness. And the Briskarov explained as follows. He says, the person, again, the same tension. On the one hand, a person has to have a muna shlema that Hashem will take care of him. On the other hand, ain't some kanalanes. The person is mechoyiv to... Operate Baderach HaTeva. Said the Briskarov, if Baderach HaTeva, the shelter is safer than your apartment, then not being Samech means going to the shelter. But if the bombing is so bad that anywhere is a nace, it's a nace in the shelter as well, once it's a nace either way, I might as well just have me talking and go back to the apartment. I'm not sure I understand that. Uh, if the bombing is worse, surely it's still uh, even worse in the apartment, unless we're talking about like a nuclear weapon that was, that's going to destroy the whole place Regardless of where you go, the fact that it's uh, very dangerous in the shelter as well, I would think that would mean it's super dangerous outside the shelter, but all right, I don't know the Matthias exactly. I'll call upon him the first story in particular. The Briskarov is reported to have, to have taken a similar position to Nachamish Gamzu and said, on the contrary, by my staying here, uh, I'm keeping everything safe. If I leave, then, uh, then, then that, that's actually what causes the problems. And there are several other stories in the Gemara as well that make uh, similar points about uh, people who were great tzaddikim were willing to uh, were willing to uh, willing to do things that seem to be flat out violations of the rule of ain't some kanalanes. So we have a Gemara in Brachas. The Gemara says that there was an arvad, a terrible, terrible kind of uh, a terrible animal that was threatening people. Injuring people. They told Rechina ben Dosa. He told them, I'll take care of it. Show me where his hole is. So, he, they, so they, he went to the hole. He placed his foot on the hole, which was basically a, a fat, tempting target for the, for the Arvad. The Arvad came out. Sure enough, the Arvad bit or stung. The Arvad bit Rechina ben Dosa. The Arvad died. Instead of Rechina ben Dosa dying, the Arvad died. So he took the, the Arvad he, as an object lesson. He brought it to the base Midrash and he said, look everyone, the Arvad is not what kills, sin is what kills. You have sin, the Arvad kills you. If you're a tzaddik like me, then the Arvad will be the one who dies, not, uh, not you. And the expression became, the, the pe- people said in regard to this story, Oilo la'adam shepagabo Arvad, woe is to he who encounters an Arvad, but Oilo la'arvad shepagabo rechinim ben dosib. But woe is to the Arvad, who encountered Rechina ben Dosa. Really? What happened to Ainsam Khanalanesa? How was he let it go and put his, uh, put his foot on top of the hole of an Arvat? 
Again, seems to be a direct violation of ain't some kanalanes. Sometimes, apparently, you can be some kanalanes, and the Gemara makes no effort, makes no attempt to explain to us why. So various Rishonim and Achronim have offered, have conceded the point that we have to accept that there are various Gemaras that seem to disregard ain't some kanalanes. They don't give us such, uh, such satisfying resolutions. There's a chuva in the Rashba, the Rashba, Rosh Weiss brings, the Rashba emphasizes that the, that the thrust of many Gemaras is, the, some of the ones that we read, is that a person should not be Samech Alanais, and a person should always, have be, a person should always behave in a uh, prudent and rational way. What about the Gemara, like, or about the Arva, Jochina Bendosa? That's an exception, he says, that that was certain people who are Anashim Shleimim, perfect people, who have extraordinary levels of merits, they can do this kind of thing with the Arvad, but ordinary people, even Chasid Shabachasidim, even the most pious of the, most, of the pious, should not do this. They, they have to behave. As an example, he says, a person can't say, I'm going to pour water or wine into my Shabbos Nair and it will burn because I'm being so mechalanes. The Gemara says that that, 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 that worked for, uh, for a certain Chasid. His daughter was said, that she had put, that it was Shabbos, and she had poured wine instead of oil into the Ner Shabbos. He told her, don't worry about it. The, the, the same God that, that says oil will burn will make your, your wine burn as well. So yes, sometimes when there's no, sometimes for certain people, Hashem makes great nisim. But in general, even a great chassid shabbat chassidim is not allowed to rely on that, with exceptions, like Ruchinia Mendoza, who was an ish shalem, who was Chuyosa of Merubos. Again, what does that mean? Practically speaking, what is, the, what is that? Uh, what, what level is that? Does, that? does that mean anything for us? Do we have people on that madrega? Briskarov, according to the story, apparently felt he could conduct himself like that. But I don't know. But in, in general, again, the overwhelming rule is the same rule that the Ramban says in Arapasha, that despite the fact that we believe that Hashem makes Nisim, Hashem does perform Nisim, we're not allowed to rely on them, we have to act as though uh, we have to act as though the it's, it's, it depends on us. But we have to behave in a rational and prudent way. So, I just want to speak uh, just very briefly. This is a topic that really could uh, do with a much longer and more detailed discussion. But very briefly, we mentioned that the, that, that the Gemara opposes the rule of shluchim mitzvah ein anizokin to ein some kanalanes, and the Gemara explains that when the hezek is kavua, then we say. When the Hezek is not Kavua, then we say, As I mentioned earlier, briefly, the Gemara makes the same point. That Gemara was in Kedushin, in the Sugi of Kibbut Aveim. The Gemara makes the same point back in Psachim. The Gemara talks about doing Bidikas Chametz in certain places where there's a danger, either danger from a snake or danger from a non-Jew who may cause trouble for the Jew. So in both cases, the Gemara says, what happened to Shluche Mitzvah Eina Nizokin? The Gemara gives various terutzim for why, why there's no protection of Shluche Mitzvah Eina Nizokin. With regard to the snake, the Gemara says, we're afraid that you'll, you know, like people do, sometimes once people start cleaning for Pesach, they also clean, they also do spring cleaning. So the Gemara says, they'll start looking for his needles or his other things, and in that, not a mitzvah, so he won't be protected anymore. So the snake will get him. The, if we're concerned about Sakana Sagayim, danger from the Gayim who think we're starting up with them, then the Gemara says again, you know, what are you worried about? If, if the Gayim is going to cause trouble for us, what happened to Shluchim Mitzvah and Nizokin? So the, the, here the Gemara says the same thing he says in Kedushin, Shriach Hezei Kashayni. The other Gemara said Kviya, here it says Shriach, that Shriach Hezei Kashayni, that, uh, that, that, when, that when the Hezek is, is clear and present, and it brings the same Pasuk of Shmuel, Shmuel said, I can't do this, it's not prudent. And God gave him a cover story. God told him, You'll have a, a ruse, you'll pretend you're going to bring a carbon. God conceded his point. So that you see, we don't say Shluch Metzana Nizokin when you are uh, when you are doing a mitzvah. So this rule is accepted by the postkim. That on the one hand, there's a rule of Shluch Metzana Nizokin. On the other hand, we don't rely on it when the Hezek is Shriach or Kavua. When the Hezek is Shriach and Kavua, then we go back to the rule we've been discussing of Ein Sam Kanal Nes. So now the, there are a number of questions on how to apply this rule, Halach Lamaisa, but the key question obviously is, the, is the, the criterion laid down by the Gemara in Kedushin and the Gemara in Shabbos, in Tzachim, 
what is called Shriach Hezekah, Kvua Hezekah, and what is called Lo Shriach Hezekah, what is called Lo Kvua Hezekah. And this is something that uh, obviously is, is of the utmost importance. The entire halacha revolves around this. It's clear that we're going to say in general, in some kanal if it's kavua and shchiach, and it's, it, it also seems pretty clear that there is a principle called shchiach hezeka, that there's not shchiach hezeka, there is a principle called shluchem mitzvah enon nizokin. Rabbi Leo Kalaskin in the tshuva does say that even if it's not shchiach hezeka, you still can't be so mech on shluchem mitzvah enon if you have an easy way out. He was talking about a case where people wanted to sell possibly tainted meat, and the government had outlawed it, and they wanted to know if they should follow those regulations. And for a number of, for a variety of reasons, he says yes. And one of them is, even if you're going to argue that buying meat for a mitzvah, for yantif, and it's shluchim mitzvah, he says, even if you're going to say this is called lo shriachazeka, he held it was cholera, it is called shriachazeka. Even if you say it's lo shriachazeka, he says, you can't be so mech and shluchim mitzvah. If there's another option, get fresh meat. You know, it's not, not as convenient, but, but get fresh meat. You, you can't say shluchim mitzvah and nizokin when you, have an, when you have a good solution. So I guess when it comes to things like wearing masks or other, uh, other COVID 19 precautions, the first thing you have to consider is whether it's called shchiach or kavua hazeka, which obviously depends on how the how the how the disease develops, how common it is in a given city at a given point in time. So first, you have to decide whether it's shchiach hazeka or lo shchiach hazeka, and then, according to some poskim, that even if it is shchiach hazeka, even even if it's lo shchiach hazeka, you still shouldn't rely on shluchim mitzvah and nizokin if there's a solution, if there's a reasonable solution. Closing down you know, the shul or yeshiva might not be a reasonable solution. Wearing a mask might be a reasonable solution. So in, so in general, first of all, you have to decide whether it's shriach hazeka. If it is, we certainly invoke the rule of ein sam chenalanes. And if it's lo shriach hazeka, then, then we have these other questions, other criteria of when we apply the, when we apply the rule of shluchim etzvah and nizoki. When we don't, and there are other reasons why it might, might, might or might not apply in the, in the case of COVID. There was one famous controversial tshuva that came out a few months ago by Ramosha Shol Klein, a leading Dayan, a leading Rav in, in Eretz Yisrael, in the Hasidic uh, community, a Talmud of Rav Shmuel Vosner. He had a you know, de- detailed and carefully argued tshuva in which he tried to argue that he felt COVID was considered lo that given the mortality rates, infection fatality rates, and so on, he was trying to argue it was lo and therefore, if it's lo shkei then at least when it comes to mitzvahs, shuls and yeshivas, he says, if it's lo shkei and we're doing mitzvahs, then we have the protection of shluch mitzvah ein anizokin. He points out, of course, he says, that only applies to mitzvahs, he says, but when it comes to non-mitzvahs, when it comes to dvar harishus, then of course, the whole point of shluch mitzvah ein is that something which otherwise might be, you should be careful about, if it's a mitzvah, and it's a relatively low level of risk, then, then you can be lenient. But, if it's a rishus, you have to machr even for a low level of, of danger. And even if, it's for, even if it is for a mitzvah, he, he, he agrees, obviously, to the implication of the two gemaras, that once you reach the level of kavua hazeka or shriach hazeka, then we're back to in some kanal But if it's a lo shriach hazeka and it's a dvar mitzvah, then he argues that, the, that there's basis for, uh, that, that you can meet that, that basis for being lenient to do the mitzvah, even at the expense of accepting upon yourself some risk. Now, certainly there were those who challenged him, there were those who said that it is considered shriach hazeka, that the danger is more significant than that, but it's obviously that the devil's always in the details. We, we have to figure out what Chazal don't quantify the exact definition of shriach hazeka and kivu hazeka, but that's, the, that's, the ultim, that's ultimately that's the principle that emerges from all these Rambans, from the, from the Gemaras. There, there is a general principle that ain't some chanalanes, that we're not some chanalanes, even b'makom mitzvah, even when God told Shmuel to go appoint Shaul, ein lecha mitzvah gedola mizu, where God directly speaks to you and tells you, go do something, and Shmuel still said, no can do, it's uh, ein sam chanalanes, and God said, you're right, and I, I have a plan for you. If, but, but if it's, uh, so ein sam chanalanes, even b'makom mitzvah, if the, the danger is relatively mild, is relatively uh, remote, then we say if it's lo then there's a rule of ain't some kind of, then there's a rule of shluchim mitzvah and nizokin. You do the mitzvah anyway, and obviously to apply this halacha lemaisa, we have to have we have to decide in any given case whether it's called shchiach and kavua hazeka or not.